This is a Stimulus Network podcast. Hello and welcome to The Cosmic Shed. I'm Andrew and if you're a new listener to this podcast then you might not know that it started because I moved into a house about seven or eight years ago now in Bristol which had a terrible crumbling garden shed at the bottom of the garden. And we had two options really. One was to knock it down and one was to slightly do it up and sit in it and record a podcast about science fact, science fiction and everything in between. But obviously during the pandemic, gathering in a shed to record podcasts hasn't been a particularly recommended thing to do. But with that lack of human activity at the bottom of the garden has come some unexpected wildlife, hedgehogs and the hedgehogs that you might well have been seeing on BBC's Winter Watch this winter. Back in December, Jack Richardson, who's a camera operator working for Winter Watch, arrived in our back garden. He filled the garden with fairy lights. We'll hear all about that shortly when we talk to Jack. And later in the podcast, we'll hear from Claudia Bonney, who's the person who made sure that our street was welcoming to hedgehogs. But first of all, Here's Jack Richardson. I am currently working as a researcher on BBC Winterwatch, and I also do a bit of filming for them. So I'm classed as something called a shooting researcher. And in my so when I'm not working on Winterwatch, I'm usually working as a freelance cameraman filming wildlife. Brilliant. We know each other because, well, for several days over. December, you spent the night in my garden. <laughs> I did. I, that sounds kind of, kind of odd, doesn't it? Uh, yeah, I did. I came around uh, for about two weeks trying to film hedgehogs because you have a marvellous garden for wildlife there. And I know that Thank we got you. in touch. Uh, certainly the researchers on the Winter Watch got in touch um, because of your hedgehogs and we wanted to feature them on the show. Let's go right back. From my point of view, what happened was we had hedgehogs in the garden and, and every night... I put a little camera trap out. I go out in the morning. I come down. Essentially what happens is my daughter comes in at seven o'clock in the morning, right? and which is too early, let's face it. Um, <laughs> I shouldn't say that to a man who spent literally all night in my garden. But anyway, it's, <laughs> and she comes in at seven in the morning and I just like, I roll out of bed, go and put the kettle on, go and get the camera trap from the, from the garden, bring a pot of tea up to bed. And we all lie in bed and just watch see what we've caught right in the, on the track oh, right yeah and um so for probably since a sort of probably september time we've been doing that pretty much every morning and just watching this lovely uh, interactions of these hedgehogs and then all of a sudden we get a, a message from uh, winterwatch saying oh yeah we hear you've got some hedgehogs and then that, that's when you came along so it, it from your point of view how does it work in the run up so back in October, I was working purely in the camera side of things. So in the run-up to the the show, I was filming rather than doing any research. So I I wasn't told about this until they had spoken to you. So I was brought on board as somebody who could then go and film it. But there was a researcher in the in production who got in touch with you, I believe. And she, I don't know how, maybe she, she must have seen it on social media or something. Do you, you must have posted your videos on social media. I, do you know, there's, there's a wonderful person who's called Claudia who lives on our road. And um, I think uh, some time ago, 
she did some uh, interviews or blog posts or something about the hedgehogs on our street. Right. And and Claudia essentially, when we moved into the road about sort of seven years ago, um, she was quite active in promoting the fact that we should all be making our gardens uh, accessible for hedgehogs. So I was like, totally up for that, clearly. Big yeah. fan of anything like that. So we set about not doing anything to our garden so that the hedgehogs would enjoy it. No, no making a wildlife garden is how we've sort of sold it to ourselves. <laughs> Letting a, I know exactly what you mean. Letting a garden go. Yeah. It's great for wildlife if you do that kind of thing. Yeah, no, I think so. Well, clearly it works like that. But um, so... Um, Claudia, I think the researchers saw Claudia's things online and they got in touch with Claudia and then Claudia said, oh, well, there's two little ones over over the road, so maybe you want to talk to Andrew. So I think that's how it happened. I see. I mean, that's kind of, I mean, so from the researcher perspective of things, that's how we find stories. So we're always on the lookout for stories and especially in the run-up to the shows. So this was um, one of the films that we kind of made before we were on location live. And so they need to be filmed in the first few months before we go on location. And I mean, we will be going, I guess the interesting thing is kind of where do we find those stories? Because we, well, like you say, if the researcher found Claudia's talking about hedgehogs in the past, whether that was found on a website somewhere, um, quite often social media is very useful, Facebook groups, you know, wildlife facebook groups especially if it's specific to a location so for example in northern ireland here we keep a tab on tabs on northern irish facebook groups and see who's getting really amazing wildlife stories and that so that's kind of you know twitter facebook anything like that you can find some amazing behavior that's always what we're looking for because behavior at the end of the day we if it's filmed by somebody um and the quality is not perfect we don't that doesn't matter because we reference the fact and then we get to get our audience involved with the show and behavior trumps quality every day um and so the researcher with in your case will have probably will have found that recording somewhere and then we were looking for stories about hedgehogs being out in in winter when they shouldn't be because they should be hibernating right and that's kind of been a bit of the theme of the show. So we knew the theme of the show go at, before we go live because there's a load of prep work that goes in uh, months before. And so they decided they wanted to do that VT and Hedgehogs was a it was a great one because also who doesn't love a hedgehog? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. No, there's literally nobody who doesn't love a hedgehog. Right? Yeah, I think we quoted it as being um, UK's favourite mammal, actually, Yeah. in our script. Yeah, I think that's fair. So when you talk about a film, have we seen everything? We're recording this on Sunday, right? So we're sort of mm. halfway through um, Winter Watch, which is it's just a beautiful thing. I, I love it. I'm, I'm thoroughly enjoying it. So thanks for everything you do for it as well. But um, okay. what is there gonna? Are we going to see more of the hedgehogs? Well, I hope so. So what we've seen so far is some offcuts from the film itself. Um, now the the film itself is is like a five minute film. And it will be featuring, well, it was supposed to feature swallows, hedgehogs, adders, um, frogs, uh, bees. So all these species which shouldn't be active in winter, but they are. 
And through editorial choices, they decided that was going to work better in pieces. So they, they broke the film down into pieces so that they could talk about um, the issues around those things. So in more detail, rather than just making a, a film. So I'm really hoping that it's still going. I can actually check. Okay. Just do it live on the podcast, although it's recorded. Yeah. <laughs> we have a, so we have a, um, like a digital post-it whiteboard where we have everything, all the, all the items for the show listed. So it's all, you have show one, two, three, four, and then you have all the running order. And this is where, this is where kind of decisions get made the week before because you'll take items and you'll be shifting it around to give each show a theme so that it runs smoothly i mean it's too big for me to check right i'm going to take five minutes i can let you know yeah that'd be good (laughs) let's do that let's do that so right let's just take a step back right so you're what have you filmed the adders have you filmed the nats what have you else have you filmed i didn't film the adders that was actually so for that that was um we had two camera operators we had myself and a camera operator in um cornwall doing that guy called henry tamblin so he was um picking up the frogs the adders and the swallows down in cornwall and i was picking up the hedgehogs and wall lizards because wall lizards come out on a hot day well uh, it's not an uncharacteristically warm day in winter when the sun shines they'll come out and bask Um, but i was also filming a film on caddisfly larvae so that went out on tuesday um and that's so they live in riverbeds and dippers which is a lovely aquatic songbird feed on them and so we were telling the story from their food's point of view rather than from the bird's point of view which is quite a classic story but the the caddisfly are rarely filmed the larvae and then winter gnats was another one yeah like you said winter gnats down in cornwall we were going down there to try and get them lecking so that's you wouldn't i mean you wouldn't think like oh that's a lovely wildlife story if you saw it walking through but actually what you see is if you can get it in the right light with the sun backlight backlighting them they glow in this beautiful gold light and they dance up and down and it's the males trying to attract females and they'll dance in rows up and down and once the female decides to join the party they just go crazy and they start trying to grab each other and pull each other and because they're look, their pheromones make them attracted to the female, which they're trying to find and then grasp onto and take down into the leaf litter to um, lay eggs and do all that good stuff. <laughs> <laughs> you filmed all of those things specifically for this. Is it, Do you have a... Fa- I know you're talking to me, right, and it's hedgehogs, but, but be honest. Do you have a favourite thing that you've filmed, like the process of doing it and what you've caught for this particular series? I think the thing I'm proudest of this series especially is the there was a species of caddisfly that build nets underwater. So they spin silk webs. And there is a, there's a great uh, short film on YouTube made by PBS on caddisfly, but they did it on a, a different species on um, your kind of a species that walks around with the case, but no one, as far as we could tell, we did the, one of the researchers called page did the re, dug into the research in the background and couldn't find anybody who had filmed this specific species in detail and it's amazing because they basically spiders underwater creating silk webs that stick to stuff and catch food. I mean, to be able to film something which is potentially done for like the first time ever is pretty amazing. Um, that's the kind of thing that I would look, I love doing and kind of motivates me really trying to catch. And also, I mean, in some ways, I hope one day that it can yeah. help science. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's talk of this series possibly having a new species for science, right? 
Yeah, yeah, on Friday we announced, didn't we? That's very cool. I mean, that I it it was a terrible thing because I watched it. I didn't watch it live. I watched it just just before I went to sleep, and then I had dreams of um, fungus overtaking me completely. Oh, really? Yeah, and met, turning me into a zombie. I mean, what is going on? You're a, you're a big sci-fi kind of fan, aren't you? Yes. Yeah. That's it's it happens a lot. <laughs> yeah. I, I, remember distinctly reading um arthur c Clarke's fall of moon dust right and i, I deliberately read that just before falling to sleep every night because every night when i was reading that book i had dreams of just sinking into the dust on the moon and it was just awesome so i'm i'm, I'm basically what i'm saying is um I, i'm not going to watch winter watch stories about f- fungus that sort of overtake spiders overtakes their brain turns them into a zombie and then dissolves them that is yeah it dehydrates them yeah that's exactly it so yeah it's a wicked it's like um it's similar to uh the cordyceps in uh the rainforest so that's um a type of fungi which you know with the ants they get the spores will land on them and then they'll get their brain will be controlled to force them to climb high into the canopy into the leaves and stuff and then they get zombified and the fungus grows out of their head and there's quite a good sequence in uh, the original planet earth of that happening yeah um that's the kind of thing we're talking about here but yeah. in a gunpowder store at castle Espy, uh yeah. it was a pretty great it's pretty we were really excited about it and my so i'm uh, i work with a producer here called matthew andrews and matt was super excited about this because he's a big he loves the crazy alien type stories with wildlife so yeah that was a big oh. one for us oh it's awesome it's really really awesome so anyway listen that's that's winter watch more widely i want to yep. talk about my hedgehogs yeah uh, they're definitely mine as well they're not they're wild animals talk me through how you go about filming hedgehogs in a back garden in Near a shed, specifically. So this is an interesting one for me, actually, because, um, well, we planned it out. Uh, We must have had a meeting about a week, maybe two weeks before I came to visit. And one of the things we didn't want to do is film it it in uh, infrared. So a lot of the kind of nighttime filming you see is in black and white. And that will be lit by an infrared light. And then there's an infrared camera which is picking up that light. But because it's going to be cut in with other wildlife, it needed to be in colour. And so to do that, we needed lights. And we came up with the idea of using fairy lights as what you call a practical light so that it motivates the reason for having light on set. And the other thing with fairy lights is it also puts you in a time frame, like it tells you it's Christmas time. And so then when I did come round, I came round with a massive fairy light to hang <laughs> up. Um, and you must have thought I was absolutely crazy. But I think it was an it was the element of it was that was working with the hedgehog is or the hedgehogs is kind of habituating them to it and not, not overdoing it, we learned, didn't we? Because and that, that's where actually your trail cam was really helpful, is because you were putting that out when I wasn't there. And we could see then that the hedgehogs were avoiding the patches where it was too bright. And so then we could dial that in. And we so we figured out, oh, well, we'll turn off one set of fairy lights. And actually, I'd bring in panel lights, which I could adjust and dim. And then the hedgehogs were much happier. And you could get them in color at night 
um and that was that was kind of the trick to it we kind of needed to spend a few days figuring out how they were behaving i mean it's kind of funny though isn't it because i mean if if they're not shown anymore you spent all of that time figuring out the lighting then you spent several nights actually filming and then there's what three or four seconds in this <laughs> Well, yeah, there is that. <laughs> I, yeah. I will suffer for yeah. my art. I saw a lovely, sorry, we'll come back to it in a sec, but I saw a lovely, I think it was Thursday nights in the credits. Um, and I always look in the credits because uh, some of my former students appear in them. Emma Nickel is a former student. Uh, Emma's done, Emma's, um, done some of the artwork. So she drew the, um, so it, the fungi launch we did, fungi launch we did on Friday. Mm. She did the artwork of the spider. And she also, yeah, and oh, she really? also um, did the artwork for our egrets. So she drew both props for me. Well, you know, I got in contact with them. I was like, oh, can you do this? Like, we need it for tomorrow. <laughs> That's so classic. It's like, just turn it around in a day. Um, and yeah, it's no, because she's based in, unfor- unfortunately, she's based in Bristol. That's one of the things with COVID is that the kind of productions all broken up all around the country. Um, but no, she did a fantastic. She's got some really great art skills as well as probably having great knowledge. Yeah, she's great. She's oh, she's brilliant in 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 many many ways. So it's lovely to see her there. But um, as of, that's why I watch the credits, and uh, I always watch the credits anyway because I want to see who's done what. But um, in the wildlife filmmaking world, it's always nice to see the people's names cropping up and stuff. But I, I saw a lovely shot of two of the little ones, and then another one behind of the hedgehogs. See, that's that's I'm um, glad you saw that as well, actually, because I saw that. I was like, yes, it's great. Because having a credit shot is is, you know, that's great because it means that it's one of the one of the ones they think's worthy of the credits, which is quite privileged. Um, but there's more of that footage in the original cut. So on Monday, I think it was Monday, uh, Tuesday night, was it when we first saw some hedgehog mm-hmm. shots? Yeah. That's really they were the off cuts of the best bits. Oh, OK. So our editor here, Aid, he originally cut the film. And so there's a sequence of hedgehogs that he's cut, which is, I mean, it's probably 30 seconds to a minute, I'd think. Um, but that's actually got the best bits in. And one of those shots is that shot that you're talking about. Yeah. So I'm hoping. And the other thing is with um, the watches is we always want to get more mammals in. Mm. So I would, I'm really got my fingers crossed that that does get into this week's show, especially with things being moved around. and Yeah. How did you get that specific shot, though? Well, the lighting is the was the first step, right? And then what I did was I spent one night, and I spent all night in your garden, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, running around chasing these hedgehogs and lying on the ground in the mud and the cold uh, with a camera. So I was uh, filming handheld then. But I suppose if we were thinking that because they're in a garden that they might be used to humans that they would be quite comfortable but actually once they come out to get natural behavior which is obviously what we're aiming for i had to be very still and meant i was filming on a long on a longer focal length so on a, like a hundred mil macro lens just because it's a, it's got a it's um it's good in low light let's say well without going into too many details um no you can go into detail it's fine Oh, okay, cool. Well, so, so I was using a uh, hundred mil macro because it's a two point eight aperture. So that, that means it can let in a lot. It can get a lot wider and let in the light um, on a what you call a, f- a full frame sensor. So it's on the Sony A seven S two, 
and a full frame sensor again it's big so it means that it's capturing a lot more light and i was filming them from a distance whilst the shots you've seen are wide angle and the way so what we real what i realized then was after that night i could see where the hedgehogs were coming out and where they're being most active i mean that's the one thing you've probably never done right is actually sit in a garden all night until five o'clock in the morning because when what you can do then is you can watch their behavior and see where they're where they're going and that's what was really 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 helpful because then i brought in a camera trap i've been working with a friend on which i could house that camera in but with a wide angle lens and then place it where they where the hedgehogs are being most active to get those close-up shots with a wide perspective so you can see the fairy lights in the background or the, or the house the window with the light in in the background so you've got that depth to the image so you you know it's not just dropping off into black um, and so that's what i was really looking for is to set the scene because you, you know a hedgehog at night if you don't have something to tell you it's you know winter time or something like that it could be yeah any time so um i want to add this first of all what i say is i have sat in the garden not that long but because of covid we've been you know at those points where we were allowed to gather in the garden i've checked with sue gray it's fine uh, we were allowed to gather in the garden at those points um you know we'd sit there chatting away to people and you'd hear the rustling mm. in their things and that's how we knew there were hedgehogs in our originally garden. Uh, yes right. originally that's how we found so t- th- this this camera trap thing that you've that you've made t- t- tell me about it because it's a wonderful thing yeah so i mean i i can't claim credit for designing it what i've been doing is i've been testing it and using it with a, a friend of mine designed it um a wonderful wonderfully intelligent and engineering type friend who is he works in um the television industry and he he originally did the uh was a consultant on the camera trapping for seven worlds i think it was oh okay so do you know the the series seven worlds yeah definitely um he was working on the camera trapping of i feel like it was the europe in europe trying to get the links and there's a shot walking through a tunnel he was helping with that so he was the technician and um what it is so what let's explain what this camera trap is actually because i haven't really described it to you that's probably a good way of doing it It's, it's so it's a peli case what we call a peli case which is like a a hard shell small suitcase it's about 30 centimeters by 20 centimeters something like that so it's not massive um so it's very easily portable and you cut out a hole in the front of it so that the lens can stick out and then what he's done is he's 3d printed a case to cover that lens and be able to stick glass in the front so that you can put it out in any weather and there's also another little hole for the sensor so there's um a oh i can't remember what kind of sensor it is but it's putting out a beam that if if that beam then gets broken it sends a code to um this little box inside which then has to send a code to the camera to turn it on and trigger it wake it up and tell it to record for you know whatever duration of time you want it to so whether it's a minute two minutes or one minute what i was doing was setting it for one minute and then if there's continual movement, setting it to trigger again and again for, I think it was two minutes. Right, and um, I mean, because the hedgehogs were so act- active, I was getting, I think I got about uh, 500 gigabytes of footage. 
has a lot of footage. Um, yeah. I mean, it's all in 4K. That's the other thing. And and oh, yeah. the because we're a tele a TV broadcast, we broadcast in 1080p. So they don't actually like having 4K footage. <laughs> so yeah. 500 gigs is a lot of footage for them. <laughs> um, why? So why did you film it in 4K if they don't want 4K? It's to do with the sensor of the camera. Because it's a full-frame camera um, and it's a native 4K sensor, I didn't want any more processing on the image than was necessary just to retain quality because it's low light. You know, it's already kind of an extreme pushing the camera to its limits in some senses that I didn't want to then also be compressing it to 1080 so that it's, you know, doing any more processing in camera. But so that 4K footage, we could go and stick it on the, you know, like the Showcase Cinema Deluxe in Bristol and go and put it up on that screen and that would be fine, right? You probably could actually, yeah. <laughs> wow. That's yeah. Massive hedgehogs. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I, mean my, I think my favourite part of it actually was going through that footage at night and selecting the f- best bits. Because, I mean, a lot of it is the hedgehogs snuffling around in the in the leaf litter and stuff. But you do get them... What they're always looking for, and this is actually where aid is. I've been learning actually off aid is this is you know working next door to an editor has been great because mm. aid's been editing on the watches for well, decades now, so he really knows what he's looking for. And basically, I spoke to him about it, and he was like, he was looking for behavior all the time. He's looking for behavior because you're looking for them to do something. Mm. And so things like when they scratch on, you know, they walk across and scratch and then carry on walking yeah. or. The other thing, you know, they nuzzle each other and they sometimes they get quite aggressive. Like the little one would kind of decide for some reason that it was going to ram its mother and yeah. kind of just go, and then just pulls it off the screen. So yeah. those are the bits I enjoy watching. Oh, brilliant. Brilliant. Oh, I can't wait to see it. Hopefully we get to see some more, more of these things. What happens if it doesn't get shown? Does that just disappear then forever? Or, Well, that's a good question. Um, quite often it could get pushed over into another series because obviously the it's a long running show. So it, it may, it will go into the archive and because I was filming for the BBC, they own the footage. Right. Um, and then they can use it in the watches, how they see fit in the future. Yeah. So sometimes in the morning, you obviously left this trap over, uh, overnight and I'd go out in the morning and, uh, and it had been knocked over. Did you, work out why that had happened well basically what had happened is so i was putting the because it's a box it doesn't have a stand and well it does have a stand but because the hedgehogs are obviously so small and on the ground i was having to take the stand off because it was too high and put it on top of a bean bag and that bean bag was full of rice and peas or something um and what had happened is I'd get there and it had fallen forwards because something had eaten a hole in the front of the beanbag. <laughs> and, uh, you know, you'd find rice on the yeah. ground. And I'm just trying to remember exactly what animal it was because you, you get lots of animals visiting your garden at night. You know, you get not just the hedgehogs. You're also, obviously, you get cats like every urban garden. But you also get foxes. And I saw at least two different foxes yeah. um, on the trap. And I can't remember exactly which. I think it was the cat, actually, that, attacked my beanbag and knocked my camera over but there is actually a wonderful shot which was a hedgehog so you know by the fence where you've got the hole under the fence for the hogs to come through there's a hedgehog sat there kind of munching away and the camera's rolling and then a cat's head comes through the hole 
and the cat looks massive in comparison. So it's almost this kind of like Jurassic Park type scene <laughs> where you get this cat head coming through this hole in its eyes and massive face and it kind of looks around and then just walks on and the hedgehog sits there in the corner and you can tell something's going to happen because it slightly pulls up and then the cat comes through. But actually, I th I then looked into it and I don't think cats bother hedgehogs, um, although cats do seem to eat pretty much everything. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> so. yeah, no, it's true. I, I, so I've got a film which I'll probably post on the on the Cosby Show website for this, which is a, from my camera shop, is a hedgehog going up behind a cat that's just sitting there and just headbutting it. And obviously, if you get <laughs> headbutted by a hedgehog, that's quite painful. <laughs> and the prickly side yeah, of things. I'd say the cat just looks... <laughs> pretty miffed and wanders off it's a lovely it's a lovely thing um so i'm pretty sure that the hedgehog trumps the cat so you're doing research and you're doing filming do you have a favorite out of those two shows? in short my favorite thing to do is to film the film side of things but that is very difficult to pursue as a career and i'm very lucky and i'm i am have been working at it for a long time but i'm hoping that i will be able to pursue that in the near future because I've been given a few more opportunities, like, for example, the watches to actually film stuff. Mm -hmm. And, you know, to get onto those bigger productions, you need to have a portfolio. Mm -hmm. And so I'm hoping that uh, I've had a few interviews and that type of thing recently for those kinds of jobs that I really have a dream of getting. So it's slowly getting there. It's always a work in progress. Um, but the filming's my favorite side of things. Although I, I say in saying that, what you do get to do with research is you get that progression of telling stories. So like, you get to dig into the art into the papers you also get to talk to scientists you get to write scripts and you get to understand how story structure works and i also think that's really fascinating and something i would love to pursue so in the long run i'm sure both skills will probably just work together but right now i would love to be out filming around the world yeah or in my back garden right? or in your back garden with hedgehogs yeah i know <laughs> but, i mean that's the other thing is as well it's like if you are in the uk just is is trying to figure out how to film those species in in an exciting way mm. like there's more common uk species because i mean you can get hedgehogs in your garden and you can film a sequence which looks amazing mm. yeah. yeah but you didn't you didn't set out to be a camera operator right um no, I didn't. No, if, I mean it depends how far back we go. Um, well, so let's imagine somebody is just about to leave school and they're watching Winter Watch and they're thinking, "I want to film hedgehogs like that guy." At, at that point, how do they get to where you are? I mean, the main part of the industry is in Bristol, but that's not to say you need to be in Bristol. Not when you're starting out. I would say you need to be film. You should be filming stuff. And even, I mean, everybody. We always say this. Everybody has a phone. And you have the ability to film it, film with a phone. I mean, you can put it in a plastic bag, for example, and then it'll be waterproof and weatherproof. And you could prop it up somewhere um, and film in that way. Or you could put it in cracks and crevices and film things around the garden. Um, or, you know, you can buy a cheap GoPro, for example, if you don't have a phone or you want to get a camera. And then you can do the similar kind of things with that. And basically, it's getting hands-on filming with whatever equipment you can get your hands on. And there's also free software um, where you can edit on. A great platform which will work on uh, Windows is DaVinci um, Re Resolve. Uh, and that's quite a powerful editing tool. And then 
if you're on Apple, you can use, uh, is it Final Cut Pro, I think it is? And Movie Maker, yeah. So those are the kinds of things where I would be saying try and do. Um, and also the other thing to do is don't be afraid of reaching out to people like you're doing, which is, is really a great thing to build is watching credits and seeing who's who and figuring out what positions they are actually because productions are really complicated in terms of how many people there are and what they do and who to talk to but even if you're just starting out getting on their radar early on um will help you in the long run and i mean there are other things you can do like you can go the you know in terms of wildlife a lot of people in the industry will do a zoology degree um because that aids you in understanding species behaviors and getting in touch with the latest research um, and understanding the scientific process and that type of thing. I didn't do a zoology degree. I did a, um, a geology degree. Um, all the zoology is kind of just self-taught and growing up and all that kind of thing. Um, more passionate and doing it in my spare time. Um, but I was told recently by one of the producers of Green Planet which has just gone out, by the way. And if you've been watching it, it's fantastic. Yeah, I haven't yet. No, I've not done it, but I'm lo really looking forward to it. Yeah. It's, it's mind-boggling what they've yeah. been doing, filming plants and bringing them to life. Yeah, I can imagine. But he, his advice to me as somebody who wanted to be filming on those kinds of shows is if you want to film, you need to be filming, basically. Hmm. So if you've got a job where you're not filming, you need to be filming in your spare time. I, I don't know if you can tell us about it, but you did tell me about one other thing you've been filming, um, which was not wildlife related, and it was sort of Harry Potter related. People might be oh. interested to know. Oh, that's coming out soon. Um, I was down in London. Um, I just I got a one-off shoot actually, thanks to a friend of mine, to go to London and do a drone shoot for the upcoming Fantastic Beasts special with Stephen Fry on BBC. I mean, I, was, I wasn't there with Stephen. I wish I had been. And I think um, J.K. Rowling as well was at the Natural History Museum in London when they first went. And so my shots will hopefully have Stephen Fry's voice underneath, which is like a crazy fan moment for yeah. me because there are two people in the world who I look up to and he is definitely one of them from childhood like listening to his voice on harry potter wow yeah. oh awesome who's the other one it's the old uh big big david attenborough oh yeah of course yeah <laughs> <laughs> i did wonder i did yeah. wonder yeah. Uh, yeah i mean obviously i also look up to my, my dad and that kind of thing too i think so i think that special is coming out in february and so if you see any nighttime drone shots of the natural history museum oh um, i mean yeah that's brilliant isn't it drone footage Natural History Museum, at night, Harry Potter, Stephen Fry. Yeah, I'm nerding out and it wasn't even me. That's, <laughs> uh, that's lovely stuff. Um, so if people want to kind of, is there a way people can follow what you're up to? Yeah, I mean, I'm try. I'm not the best on social medias, but I think on Instagram, I'm under the um, at geojackrich. And I think I'm the same on Twitter. Um, and do, you know, feel free to, reach out to me in any way, um, ask me questions or anything like that. I'll always try and help people, um, help people out. Um, and I'm on Vimeo as well somewhere, but I think that's probably under my full name, which is Jack Charles Richardson. And then you can probably see my other work and, you know, all my filming work. And that's where I kind of keep my portfolio and that type of thing. Lovely. 
Well, I'll find those and post the link to them all on thecosmicshed.com. Jack, it's been a pleasure. I really hope that we're going to see those hedgehogs uh, in in more... Just more. Just more hedgehogs. More. <laughs> yeah, <I hope> so <laughs> yeah no, lovely stuff. Thanks so much. Thank you, Andrew. That's Jack Richardson, whose career I'm sure is going to go from strength to strength. If you haven't checked out Winter Watch and the lovely shots of the hedgehogs that he got, albeit very short shots so far, then I really highly recommend having a look at that. Not just for the hedgehogs, it's a wonderful programme. Now, some of you who are listening might well be fortunate enough to also have hedgehogs nearby, but if you're not, I thought I'd bring you a conversation with Claudia Bonney, who's the person who sort of almost single-handedly made it so that hedgehogs feel very welcome on our road here in Bristol. And I began by asking Claudia when she'd first met the hedgehogs in her garden. It was the night that we moved in and we'd literally, we'd moved a mile from slightly more central city location, literally a mile up the hill, moved in. The night we moved in, we were exhausted, obviously. And suddenly the dogs started going nuts at the back door. And I looked out and then on the lawn was a little lump and three other smaller lumps behind it. And I was like, I thought I was hallucinating with exhaustion. I was like, what? That is a hedgehog with three baby hedgehogs. What the hell? Like, we've not moved to the country. We're in the middle of the city. I couldn't, I really couldn't believe my eyes. And then they moved so quickly, I kind of rushed into the house and said to my husband and my son, quick, quick, come and look, there's a hedgehog um, and baby hedgehogs. And they rushed to look. And of course the hedgehog had gone and no one believed me. Oh. <laughs> I know, I know, little, little the fools, the fools. Anyway, um, I that was it. That was the beginning of it, really. I started asking neighbours about it and they said uh, that there had been hedgehogs. They'd seen them years before, but they hadn't seen them recently. La, 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 la. And then I just got started Googling like crazy and kind of wanted to do all the good things for them, which I did to encourage them. But then quite quickly got concerned that other people weren't, you know, realising that they move and they need the whole area. So then started my anonymous leafleting campaign. And then the, re- and the rest is history. <laughs> yeah, not so anonymous anymore, eh? <laughs> so I, I'm not, I don't have a sense of how long ago that was, but uh, so we moved 11 in. years. Oh, 11 years. Okay. Yeah. So about yeah. four years later, we, mm-hmm. we got a leaf that through the door when we moved in. <laughs> and I'm like, oh yeah, hedgehogs. I'm, I'm up for that. Yeah, that yeah. sounds good. Um, and so we sort of, you you kind of, uh, would, what you were doing was telling everybody how to welcome hedgehogs, how to make hedgehogs feel and be welcome. So if people are listening to this and they would like to make their gardens or their space hedgehog friendly, how, how do we do that? Well, essentially, I think the best tip is to try and think like a hedgehog. <laughs> So you've got to think that they are prey animals, although really badgers are the only thing that gets to them. Badgers or maybe a dog, you know, some types of dogs. Um, So they're prey animals. So they like running around undercover. They like going along the edges of things. Hence the name hedgehogs, because they like nesting in hedges and they like using them as their little highways. 
So uh, the most important thing is gaps, is gaps and holes and pathways in your garden. So both, that means fences both sides and the end of your garden. Um, if everyone in the country made a hole in their fence over a weekend, I reckon it would solve the hedgehog problem actually because hedgehogs are now doing better in the cities and suburban areas than they are in the countryside so if we all did that i think they'd be fine as a species i really think it's as simple as that uh so pathways uh if you've got um a garden that's got a big lawn and the lawn goes right up to the fence if you planted some shrubs or had some beds either side that would be good that would encourage them leave a wood pile or a leaf pile somewhere in your garden even if it's just a corner in the far end um as a possible nesting spot or a place to dig for bugs and worms and stuff um put a pond in a small pond because they always need drinking water in the summer that's a big issue for them but make sure it's got sloping sides they can swim but they need to get out um and, you know, you can provide a feeding station and little high hogatats. Uh, the best ones are made ones or very expensive bought ones. A lot of the ones they sell online are pretty rubbish. Um, but otherwise, it's the pathways, drinking water, removing hazards, talking to your neighbours um, and sort of getting together as a neighbourhood and a community, really. And that's what we've done here. And that's why we've had such an amazing, such a bumper year. So they swim in ponds. Have you seen this happening? No, I have seen footage of it, though. I've seen a, mm-hmm. a wonderful little bit of footage of a hedgehog swimming across quite a quite a large pond. So, yeah, I imagine in the in the um, summer, if it's very hot, it's quite nice to go for a dip. Yeah. But, yeah, no, they're good little swimmers. They just need to be able to climb okay. out. Okay, so I right. It, 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 basically, what you're doing is describing our garden, right? The garden at my house. Yeah. It's got it's got all of these things. It's got ponds. It's got um, it's got it's definitely got piles of stuff. Um, it's got it's got it's got cosmic shed with uh, with hedgehogs nesting underneath it. Exactly. So <laughs> I never thought when we started this podcast too many years ago that we'd be talking about the hedgehogs living under it. Um, I hoped. I hope that they'd come. You know, if you build it, they will come. And we we build it, and they will come. We moved into the house as yeah, the got the fence was already had holes in it, and yeah. you know, it's a, mine yeah. too. So that's that's. But I I, I don't have a sense because I'm not on the street WhatsApp. Um, I don't have a sense of um, how how much it expands beyond our garden. Beyond, I know from my uh, camera trap footage that they disappear off into the next door. But I don't know how far they're going. Do you have a sense of that? Well, you know, some people say eight to 11 kilometres a night they'll travel. What? Yeah, yeah, especially if they're looking for a mate and stuff. So that's our whole neighbourhood. I mean, if you think we've got quite long gardens, so that's all your side, all our our side, probably onto the road behind. Um, So maybe even down and over the main road. Um, So, yeah. They go for, they travel far. If they know there's a pond they like drinking from, or they know there's going to be food in a garden, they will, and they know they can get there, they will get there. Really? So, you know, hence putting up the road signs as well, telling people to um, 
be aware of hedgehogs crossing at night. Yeah, because I do know my favourite one of those is because there's on our road, there's, um, is it you that's done it that's put the road sign? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I got fed up with the council, so I just went rogue. Yeah. Made yeah. so there's lovely uh sort of like they're like for sale sign type things which which yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. and then there's stickers for the um wheelie bins but my favorite yeah. thing which is probably the most bristol is the little hedgehog stickers on the uh road signs on the rebound. oh you noticed yeah. that you've outed me that was my like little i was going around and i was doing it so surreptitiously i cut it out of gaffer black gaffer oh. tape and I was sort of then would stand by the road sign and just sort of try and do it. <laughs> I didn't know it was you. I just saw them. I thought, yeah. oh, those are great. Oh, thanks. Yeah. I'm glad you noticed. One of them's been taken off, but the one at the bottom of the road still yeah. there. And I think the one hopefully near you, near the little lane is still there. But yes, I might have to replace them. How many have you got at the moment? What, in the garden? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. The last time I, I, in the early autumn, I checked one of the nest boxes getting it ready for winter and there was a huge hedgehog inside that was furious to be disturbed. So there's at least one. We've released um, maybe three uh, that needed that needed to be released that were rescued hedgehogs from nearby, but needed a safe place to release. So maybe four. I don't know. Or they may have gone further afield. They rarely stay where you put them. That that's yeah. If they're traveling those kind of distances, it's hard yeah. to kind of pinpoint them. Yeah. But I so um, you've said if you've had to release them. So what if somebody? Because the reason that we first kind of were absolutely sure that the rustling in the hedgerows was the hedgehogs yeah. Yeah, was yeah. was when one of them came over to um, Jenny. People who listen to this podcast would be surprised to know that I am married. But there's um, <laughs> Jenny, who is married to me, was was in the garden. In the I sort of sort of September time, I think, and this hedgehog just came and walked over and sat by her feet yeah. and, and looked up at it. Um and it turns out that this uh, hedgehog had been attacked by something, we know not what. Yeah. Um and it had a, an eye hanging out. So that became yeah. Lord Nelson. Um But so can you tell us what you would recommend people do if a hedgehog does sort of I don't know if this is what they're doing I have a student here who told me that she was in the countryside and a hedgehog came over to her and sat at her feet and she discovered that it was also poorly and I wonder if this is a behavior that hedgehogs are sort of uh, that person over there looks like a nature friendly one I'll go to them and they'll help well I know you are a man of science but this is the, the sort of magic and mysticism of hedgehog they do have a rich and ancient folklore around them it is very interesting i mean you could say yeah because in this country we have robins don't we they're incredibly friendly to humans because humans are friendly to them so you know they'll almost eat from your hand so yes potentially hedgehogs have learned that humans you know it is an interesting thought i have thought about that i mean it certainly happened to me too they are incredibly wild creatures so for one to behave like that is unusual and so is a marker of it being not very well um so that could possibly be it too but yeah essentially if you see a hedgehog out in the day it needs help it needs assessment uh, the only time i would say be cautious of that is the spring and summer so if you see a big hedgehog trundling around quite happily in the i would say afternoon evening you know six o'clock so it's still very light that can often be a mother hedgehog that's nursing babies and is really hungry and really thirsty and has nipped out 
for a quick feed and a quick drink. And so you've got to be a little bit more cautious about doing something then because you don't want to take it away from its babies. So that's the only time, the baby's time, um, that you would be cautious about intervening. If it looks healthy, leave it alone. But otherwise, rest of the year, hedgehog out in the day, it needs um, it needs attention. And with the one that Jenny found with the eye, that definitely needed attention. And, you know, the local vet was great. She just whipped it out and sewed it up. And then he went off, didn't he, to the hedgehog hospital. He was slightly beyond my capability of care. And uh, then he was back with you about 10 days later to be released back into the world he'd be fine without you know just one eye so if you're if somebody's you know finds themselves with a poorly hedgehog in the middle of the day what 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 do you do because i mean obviously you need gardening gloves yeah i mean or any gloves really you just pick pick it up pop it in a small cardboard box uh, and get it straight to a local vet or wildlife place and they will check it over. Vets have to. Some vets are legally, vets, you know, have made an oath, a bit like doctors, that they will look at an animal in distress. However, I have had rather bad experiences where people, vets, certain vets have tried to charge me as if it's a, um, you know, charge me a consultation. It's fine to pay for the antibiotics or whatever's needed for, for them. But um, so, so not all vets are equal. Um, but yes, get it to be checked over somewhere and any good place will check it over. If it's fine, they will say to you, do you want to come and collect it? And it will be re-released where you found it, as long as it's a safe spot. I would say have the confidence if it doesn't look right, if you see it in the day, if it's in the middle of winter, if it's very small, if it's wobbling around, if it's looking skinny, if it's collapsed on its side, it's not moving or curling up properly it definitely needs intervention and have the confidence to do it a lot of people I'll I'll, you know somehow my numbers got out (laughs) so I'll get calls from people going oh I've got a hedgehog it's lying on its side what do I do I'm like pick it up put it in a box I'll come get it you know have the confidence to do it Um, because they are endangered and every one of them counts so Every hedgehog counts. I think that's a, that's a that's a good slogan. We need three word slogans, don't we? Every hedgehog counts. That's a good one. We'll go with that. Um, so right, okay. There's there's there are these hedgehogs which have become famous. They're now on Winter Watch. Um, what, why have we got babies at this time of year? What's going on? Ah, well, again, it's a bit like the theory about whether or not they appear when they you know to humans when they need help. Is it to do with global warming? I don't know. It could be that actually they can not hibernate if there's food available. So it could be that because we're all being so great at feeding them, there's food through the winter, they're not bothering hibernating or they're having little short naps and then they're waking up knowing that there'll be food. Whereas in the past, they would be unsure of that. So maybe they would sleep through because it would use too much energy to wake up and see if there's anything and then they're not be. Is it that? As, as you were saying to me, you haven't said on this podcast, that they the little ones can just freeze on the spot in a, in a cold snap. Yeah, yeah. And that's, yeah. I suppose, the thing where the climate change argument comes in, because obviously New Year's Eve was the warmest ever, um, etc. Right. So if they're yeah. these little ones that, that we've had over December and uh, pe- people are seeing on the yeah. BBC, if they 
if we were having a colder winter, they might not have made it through, even with our food. Uh, possibly, if they hadn't found somewhere, they're, if they're not very streetwise and they hadn't found a good spot to hibernate on their own, because their mum might not have wanted them in the big nest. Um, so possibly. But then the other argument is that hedgehogs have some inbuilt weather system and they might know that it's not going to be a harsh winter. You know, like you see, but like they say when there are loads of berries on the trees or that you see birds and squirrels and stuff feeding like crazy when the weather's fine. And then three days later, it's freezing that they have some pressure. You know, I'm convinced that they know. You, you watch nature, it knows what's coming. So whether or not the hedgehogs actually, you know, maybe we'll realise this in years to come, know whether it's going to be a harsh winter or not. And if it's going to be a mild one, they continue to be active, maybe. Well, OK, listen, I think this, uh, I, well, I'm going to have to say this because, you know, this is a science podcast, right? And it, it is science <laughs> fact, science fiction and everything in between. We don't know, right? Well, but what we, we do know is that these are um, definitely magical creatures in some sense, whichever sense yes. you want to take that word, right? They are good. I'm glad. You yeah, they are that. magical yeah. creatures to have around, and whatever. Yeah. What if they can tell the weather that's coming? If they're more effective yeah. than Michael Fish, um, <laughs> I, Mrs. Mrs. Tiggy, Lord, yeah, Lord Nelson, <laughs> yeah, Lord Nelson doing the weather. That would be good. But anyway, I, it's been it's it, it continues to be a wonderful thing that you have made our road hedgehog friendly so thanks for oh, doing it well it's it's been an absolute delight to do it and i would encourage anyone i sort of still have this theory what's good for hedgehogs is good for us you know that that uh that being connected to the people around you know literally the gaps we have to connect with neighbors and to leave things a little bit wild little patches of wildness i'm convinced what's good for hedgehogs is good for us too so i think that's absolutely true in that sense i was a bit worried you were going to tell me i should eat cat food and swim in ponds <laughs> thank you so much to jack richardson and claudia bonnie for talking to me i can really highly recommend trying if you can at all to welcome hedgehogs into your local area because they are wonderful wonderful creatures i'll post some links to some of those little bits of film that i caught on my camera trap of course on the cosmic shed website thecosmicshed.com but I hope you're keeping well, and thank you very much for listening. The Cosmic Shed. Science fact. Science fiction. And everything in between. This podcast is brought to you by The Stimulus Network.